0: Good intentions, great ambitions, worthwhile resolutions. Sounds like the way we like to kick off a new year, isn't it? It also describes really well the life of Simon Peter. I mean, here was a guy who had all of the energy and well-intended mindset that you could ask for, and he went after things. But we also know that he tripped over his own feet, shot himself in the foot, put his foot in his mouth, and then managed to mess things up again. And I've said this before, but in many ways, we love Simon Peter because he is a lot like us. And in a moment of honesty, anyone else here able to relate to the fact that sometimes you get in the way? I actually saw hands. It's amazing. We're feeling feeling honest this morning. Simon was like that. We're like that. And as we dive in today, I invite you to be honest with yourself, because we're not just talking about Simon today. We're talking about us. And so there's going to be a little room for some introspection from self-reflection, and hopefully it'll set set us up well and set the right tone as we head into 2023. And today we are going to be in Matthew chapter 26. You may want to pull it up on your phone and in your Bible, because we're going to cover a lot of ground. Some of the sections we'll skip over. Um, So, And not all of it will be on the screen, so I invite you uh, to find Matthew 26. Well, up to this point, even though Simon had had his ups and downs, fair to say, generally, he was riding pretty high. He had followed after Jesus after this miraculous catch of fish. And then in following Jesus into a storm, which was a little messy... Peter was called out and actually walked on the water. I can only imagine how that would change your view of Jesus, your view of yourself, your perspective on the world around you. And in a definitive moment, Jesus took this fisherman named Simon and said, Simon, you are Peter. You are the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And I can only imagine how unstoppable he might have felt in that moment. But it would so happen that as we approach chapter 26, the disciple who was riding high in a lot of ways was only so far from his lowest low. Just around the corner, things were about to head south, and in many ways, the tension was already rising. There were more people that were looking to arrest Jesus, to put an end to his teaching And so the political turmoil was being stirred up. At the beginning of chapter 26, they had just had the Passover meal together. They'd gotten away from the crowds and the chaos, and it was Jesus and his disciples, and they shared this Passover meal, which would become the Last Supper that Jesus had with them. And it wasn't a normal dinner. Jesus once again was talking about Given up his blood and his body, and this picture of sacrifice. And he had talked about giving his life, but was that really a thing, or was it just a metaphor? And then there was Judas. Abruptly, in the middle of dinner, Jesus brings up the fact that one of you is going to betray me. Judas runs out of the meal, and I would imagine everyone left there was left feeling kind of weird about everything that went down. It wasn't just a party. And so Jesus, as we pick up in verse 30, takes them to the Mount of Olives. They get away from dinner. They go out to the Mount of Olives where he is going to drop another huge bombshell on them. Follow with me in verse 31. It says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Well, this is when Peter doubles down on being Peter and when we see Peter's promises. Because he has a strong reaction to Jesus' words. It says in verse 33, But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter doubles down and says to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. I think it's kind of a funny picture. The disciples in that passage sound a little bit like followers, don't they? Here's Peter leading the charge, being so bold, and all the others are like, yeah, me too. I'm I'm with Peter. We're we're not going to do that, Jesus. I will never fall away, even if I have to die with you. And if you think about it, that is a noble, admirable, courageous, and confident response, is it not? In fact, in many ways, it's the right answer. I think about my kids growing up, and if they were asked, Are you going to stick with Jesus even in the tough times? I would want them to give a very similar answer to this. And in fact, throughout 2,000 years of church history, many of the great martyrs who have gone before us went to their death saying something like this. Is it not the correct answer? But sometimes confident and even mostly correct isn't quite in line um, I don't know what you guys have experienced, but for some reason or another, God blessed me with some confident kids. And my wife and I, I wouldn't say we're particularly confident when we were young; we were kind of middle of the road. But I've got some confident kids. And the other day, just about a week ago, my five-year-old sitting in the kitchen before school, and you remember how cold it was a week ago, and we're like. Hudson, you have to put on a jacket. And he looks straight at my wife and I and says, I am wearing a jacket. Hudson, that's a long sleeve shirt. That's not a jacket. You are going to be freezing outside, and I'm thinking for a minute, I've become my parents. (laughs) You have to put on a jacket. I'm wearing a jacket. That's not a jacket, Hudson. And uh, his grandma, who we refer to as Nani. Nani says it's a jacket. She didn't say that. He's just like, I need to appeal to a higher power is what he's thinking right now. Hudson, that is not a jacket. My son wasn't right, but in a lot of ways, Peter was. And the issue wasn't so much what Peter was saying. I don't even think it's so much the issue that he didn't follow through on his promises because Jesus is telling him he won't. Two issues that I see. The first is this take a look at who Peter's arguing with. Do you think Jesus might know what he's talking about? Peter is virtually saying, no, Lord. No, it's not going to happen that way. The second issue that I see is just Peter's not listening. Jesus is not being like, you know, he's not being unclear in this moment. He's being very straightforward. And what Jesus is saying is simply bumping up against Peter's framework of understanding. And we all have this. We all do this. We, as followers of Jesus, want to be in line with what is true of God, what is true of his word, what is true of what he says about the world around us. And we pursue that to our best understanding, but our understanding also comes with our worldview, our framework, our culture, our presuppositions, the things we grew up with, our preconceived notions, all that are in the mix for us. And sometimes we like to think that what we believe is all what God believes, And sometimes, in a good way, we bump up against the things that aren't God but are us. For whatever reason, in this moment, Peter is fighting back because what Jesus is saying is bumping up against his framework. He says, no, this won't happen. I will not deny you. I will not fall away. And when you think about it, the tension really arises because Peter just doesn't like what Jesus is saying. Jesus says to him, truly I say to you on this very night, won't take a week, won't take a month, tonight. Anyone know what the Greek word for truly is in this passage? Not you, Marty. (laughs) It's amen. Amen, verily, truly. We end our prayers with amen because we're saying truly do it, Lord. That is what we are asking of you to do. Put an exclamation mark on it. Jesus puts the exclamation mark on the beginning of it. Amen, I say to you, you will deny me this very night. And Peter's like, I'm your guy. I walked on the water. I'm the rock, remember? Remember? But Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew Zechariah 13:7, which says awake sword, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And I have to ask you guys this morning, do you ever not like what Jesus is saying to you? Do you ever find it hard to listen to what Jesus is saying to you? Because in this moment, Peter fails to understand Jesus. Jesus' plans are often beyond our comprehension. Jesus' ways of doing things are not our human way of doing things. And in this very moment, while Peter is fighting back, God is orchestrating the greatest work in all of human history, and Peter's fighting against it. Is it possible that Jesus might have plans for you in 2023 that are beyond your realm of possibility? Not only does Jesus, uh, Peter fail to understand Jesus, he fails to understand himself. Zechariah once again said, The sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus said, You will deny me three times. Peter is more fragile than Peter would like to admit. And we're not that different when the pressure is up, when things don't go our way, when things start to fall apart, we do as well. And so the first thing to evaluate yourself on this morning is this question up here on the screen, is your fill in the blank, self-confidence, pride, busyness, inflexibility, etc., getting in the way of you listening to what Jesus is actually saying. Because Peter's promises were confident, they were resolute, He was going to do what he was going to do, but they were misguided. And Peter's going to fall short, but first he's going to encounter even more of his own human frailty. Let's move on to verse 36 as we start to look at Peter's power. Follow along with me. It says, Then Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So he took with him Peter, James, and John, a bit of his inner circle. And Jesus shares with them something very vulnerable. He says, I am grieved to the point of death. I'm guessing Jesus didn't say this like every three days or so. It was probably rare. And so he says to them, Remain here and keep watch with me. He's throwing out a bid for their comfort, their companionship, and their attention. Now, what's interesting is this passage hits very close to home for me because that, that verb for keep watch is the Greek word gregorao, which is where my name Gregory comes from. It means to be watchful. You think about the guard on the walls, keeping their eyes open and looking to see what might be on the horizon. Now, what's interesting is in this passage, in most translations, it, it translates it, be watchful, be vigilant. But the word also just simply has the meaning, as you think of the guy on the wall, stay awake. And in many ways, Jesus is just saying, stay awake with He's asking them to remain, to be engaged in this moment, in his moment of crisis, saying, don't let me down. Be here. Comfort me. So what happens next? Verse 39, he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Could you imagine being there to hear Jesus pray that in that intense moment, surrendering his will to God? Well, they weren't there listening. It says he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me. You could not stay up with me for one hour. Keep watching, stay awake, and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, can we not relate to that? (laughs) The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus in his grief is just wanting them to stay awake. I was thinking about this and thought I could give lots of illustrations of me not being able to stay awake. For those of you who know me, I hit a wall and I do not break through that wall very well. Um, some would say I have the spiritual gift of sleep, though I haven't found the Bible passage that has that just yet. Still looking. But I thought of an experience that I had recently that really illustrated for me just this whole idea of a willing spirit, but a weak flesh. Um, summer and fall were busy, and I had told my wife that I would remodel the master bedroom, and because summer and fall were busy, it was it was a uh, a promise of mine and a desire of mine that once our apologetics conference ended in October, I would start working on the master bathroom. And there was a lot of excitement at first. But for anyone who's done construction, you know that everything takes twice as long as you think it will. You end up with twice as many problems to solve as you thought you would. And you also create a few problems along the way, which then have to be fixed. Uh, fortunately the kitchen below has not been flooded yet. We'll pray it stays that way, but you can see here our bathroom in progress. And one of the big things I'd done some tiling before, but I hadn't tiled a bathroom wall. So my friend Jake, who's our graphic designer here at the church, get to work with him. He's playing bass this morning. He came over and got the wall going for me and it's perfectly straight. It's perfectly clean. His attention to detail is amazing. But he's not able to come out every day, nor would I ask him to, so I'm taking it from here, right? And so the next time that I get out there to tile, I get to start off with, you can see this in the next picture, this piece. That's our elf, by the way, buddy. He was visiting, I think, telling me to spend less time working on the bathroom. But um, that tile piece is a little complicated for a, you know a, a DIY construction guy like myself, requires six different cuts that are somewhat precise if you don't want to look really bad. And it also really weakens the tile. Well, it took me three times to get the cut straight. Wasting tile, frustrated that it didn't work the first, the second, the third time. Get that piece in there, and then start laying some of the other tiles. Well, as I start to lay some of the other tiles, I decide, you know what? That piece isn't quite straight. So I go to adjust it, and I pop the tile crack right through the middle of it. That was not my finest moment. There was a lot of anger, a lot of yelling, a lot of frustration. My wife, God bless her, came, talked me down off the ledge, uh, but also uh, made it pretty clear that this isn't worth it, we're going to hire somebody. This is causing too much stress to you, to me, the family. This is not okay. We need to reroute and think of a new approach to this thing at this point. And I'm really glad she, she put me in my place in that moment. But my attitude, my power was so waning. And it's amazing how something like a little piece of tile can just send you into a tailspin. And we laughed because we've all been there. We've all experienced that where you're worn down, you're tired, you're like, I don't wanna be doing this anymore, but I'm still doing this, and then it gets worse. The flesh is weak. And we need to be aware of when our flesh is weak. I love the, the HALT acronym someone gave me once. Are you hurting, angry, lonely, tired? HALT, <laughs> stop moving forward. Danger, you're gonna get in trouble. And for some of you here this morning, your H is hungry. Let's just acknowledge that too. <laughs> There is a second H. And when you're hungry, we need to steer clear. But you'd think Jesus' chastising and his setting them straight and sharing his disappointment might have straightened out these disciples, right? They fought through it. They were with Jesus in the end. No, what happened? Fell asleep two more times. And in a sense, it's understandable. I don't think their ministry was easy. I don't think life was easy at this point. Sometime previously, they'd walked by foot 100 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem. Dinner was a bit emotionally stressful. I don't know all that was going on in them. But for whatever reason, their power was weakening. Peter was one to burn bright and then to burn out. Can you relate? So I have another question for you. Do you find yourself, fill in the blank, burn out, bitter, joyless, quickly angered because you are running on your own power? running on your own strength, well, you find out you're doing it. Hopefully not when it's too late. Take a moment and just think, yeah, are you running on your own power? Well, the tensions were going to continue to rise. And as they do, we're going to bump up against Peter's ill-conceived plans. You see, Judas had gone and uh, he'd, he'd gathered a large crowd They show up in the garden with swords. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. The crowd grabs Jesus and seizes him. And then in verse 51, we find these words. It says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out, drew out his sword, and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Matthew's really nice here and doesn't mention who it was. (laughs) We know from the other Gospels, yeah, this was Peter. No shock there. And if you look at this, I don't know about you, but I find this kind of comical. Like, imagine yourself in this place, Jesus in the garden praying, the disciples trying to stay awake. They've just been wakened up by Jesus. They're in a stupor. They don't know what's going on. Here comes this mob of people with swords to arrest Jesus. And Peter, in his barely awake stupor, thinks that trying to kill a guy is a good idea, And then in his attempt to kill a guy, he shows how incapable he is because he only manages to cut off his ear. And we don't have it in the story here, but then Jesus heals him and puts it back on, and Peter gets his, like, fourth talking to of the evening. Jesus said to him, Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Those words stood out to me, Peter, put your sword back, not just put it back, but put it back into its place. The sword has its place over there, but not here, not today. And I realize that Christianity has its brands of Christianity, everything from very passive to very militant and everything in between. But wherever you may fit on that spectrum, the thing that stands out to me about this passage that is very clear is that Jesus does not fight battles with earthly weapons. He says, do you not think at my disposal if I call out to my father, he'll have 12 legions of angels here by my side? That's roughly 60,000 angels. You know, all of us have our earthly approach, our instincts, our impulses, the ways that we respond to what's right in front of us. Yet Jesus has this heavenly, not earthly perspective on what's really going on. And it's true of our plans that sometimes they're very limited in their scope and they're very nearsighted. My plan was to finish my bathroom in 2022. That picture you saw on the screen is the current state of it. And honestly, in that moment when I was really frustrated and I was going over the edge, something my wife said to me, which on paper doesn't at all seem divine, was one of the most divine things in the moment. She simply said to me, this does not need to get done in any time frame. And suddenly I was free to not reach an unattainable goal to pursue this in a way that was detrimental to my family and to be freed up to say, you know what, Christmas is coming, New Year's is coming, I have family visiting in town, the bathroom can wait. And suddenly letting go of my plans and my timeline and my efforts brought a whole lot of peace and freedom. Not to mention, guys, it's really good when your wife puts you in your place sometimes. But that whole time, whether it's with my bathroom or right here with Peter, most importantly, Jesus is seeing the big picture. And in verse 55, when he says to the crowds, he says, he talks to the crowds, he says, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then just as Jesus said, all the disciples left him and fled. As I said, Peter's plans were impulsive. It was ready, fire, aim. It was so Peter. It was more human than heavenly, was it not? And so the question for us this morning is this similarly. Are your plans and how you address the problems around you more human or heavenly? Is it your inclinations, your impulses, or is it God's? Well, Peter's made his promises. He's experienced his waning power. He's tried to execute his ill-conceived plans. And now Peter's going to reach his breaking point. You see, Jesus in this moment was taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, and he was put on trial before him. And there were lots of false accusations that were flown, but one of them wasn't false and it stuck. Someone says, this man said that he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And Caiaphas calls Jesus to respond, but Jesus kept silent. The high priest then asked him point blank, Tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus replies, You have said so yourself, and you will see me sitting at the right hand of God. They charged him with blasphemy. They demanded his death. They spit on him, slapped him, and beat him with their fists. And this whole time, Peter is sheepishly laying low in the courtyard outside, aware of what's happening, but trying to remain incognito. And in verse 69, it says that Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus with Nazareth. And again, he denied it, but he upped his Annie. He denies it with an oath and says, I do not know this man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then at this point, he's all in. He begins to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words which Jesus had said. Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and bitterly wept. We've all reached different forms of our breaking point. The end of our rope, where we failed so miserably and it seems like there's nothing left. Fortunately for Peter and for us, our breaking point is not the end of the story. And we won't cover it this morning, but where the story continues from here, well, it gets quite remarkable. What I find most remarkable, though, is just the fact that because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to just rely on our promises, our power, and our plans. Because while Peter fell short on his promises, Jesus followed through on his. While Peter's power ran out, Jesus relied on a power greater than anything else on earth, a power that not only led him to the cross, but rose him from the grave on the third day. While Peter's plans fell apart, Jesus continued to submit himself to the will and the plans of his heavenly father. And because of that, all of us are here today. Friends, you can choose to run into 2023 relying on your own promises, power, and plans, but you will eventually reach your breaking point. You will fall flat on your face. You will negatively impact the people around you. Or you can ask God to help you to rely on his promises, his power, and his plans as you move forward in the year. One of the things that helps me to do this is to be reminded a little bit of who I am compared to God. Sometimes, in a lot of ways, compared to God, his holiness, his omnipotence, his knowledge, his wisdom, his power, I'm like my little son, who's telling God that I have a coat on, completely clueless and ignorant to what the real reality is. I run forward in my ways thinking that I know what's up when the reality is I pale in comparison to who God is and to how he sees things. And last night, we were up late because of New Year's, My son had reached his breaking point, and bedtime was not pretty. There was a lot of fighting, there was a lot of talking back, there was a lot of, and honestly, I would say, did a decent job of just calmly communicating, need to go to bed, and it just was not happening, which any parent knows leads to frustration. It is not fun. And he finally gets in bed, and I finally think he's asleep, and it's kind of like, okay, we can exhale. And I'm sitting in my bedroom, and he comes out again. He's got tears in his eyes, just like totally tired and just gone beyond all recovery, right? And I want to be frustrated in this moment, but he looks at me and says, Dad, there was no snow at Christmas. (laughs) And honestly, I'm so glad he said that because my, my big dad heart broke, and my response was, son, come lay next to me and get some rest. I believe God does that with us. We run ourselves ragged, and he says, come, be with me and find your rest. Friends, will you rely on your promises, power, and plans, or on God's? I may have shared this with you before, but I want to give you just a short little acronym that helps me a ton in this. It's just the question, are you dry? The D is just this, express your desire to God. Do you want to keep doing it in your own power, or do you want to give it over to Him? Express that desire to Him, to let Him create control, to let Him guide you, to let Him form you in the process. The R is repent. Repent of any known sin that's getting in the way, whether it's pride, whether it's the way you respond in anger. Maybe it's just the fact that you've been slow to walk humbly and confess or even just uh, say sorry to the people around you for something that you've done. And the why is yield, to simply say, God, I yield myself to you, to your power, to your will. Take it from here and help me live in you. As we close today, I'm going to just provide some space and guide you through those three things for you to pray. I don't know what you're experiencing today, but God does. And I know his desire for you is to experience not your 2023, but his 2023. Let's pray together. If you would, right where you are, just silently, express your to God your desire as it relates to His promises, His power, and His plans for your coming year. Now take a moment silently and just repent of any known sin that you've been holding on to. And now if it's your desire, take a moment to yield to God and tell him that you surrender control. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge once again that we are here because of you because you did not fail. You did not back down on your promises. And we come here this morning acknowledging as as well that we're, we're just far too much like Peter. Give us his boldness, but give us your strength. Give us your guidance. Be in us. Lord, we also pray that you would be in this church, that as you work in us, that you would empower Burke Community Church to do your work, to spread your gospel, to see lives change. God, we can't do that this year, but you can. God, you are able to do far more than all we could ask or imagine if we just let you. And so we humbly pray that you would grant us the grace to get out of the way and to let you empower us and live through us and shine your light in this building and outside of these walls in the world around us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.